<laughs> yeah, totally. All right, welcome everyone to OT with DA and JS. Today is day 23 of our 75-day reading challenge, and we are in chapter 22, must be, right? That's right. Am I right about that? Yep. Uh, chapter 22. 22. Yeah. Chapter 22, my name is David Asherick. I'm the DA part of OT with DA. The OT part is the Old Testament, and the JS part is Johnny Suarez. Now, Johnny, you were on our program last night, and you also were with us for several sessions in DA with DA, but we didn't take any time, and I'm embarrassed by this a little bit, to meet you. So just tell us a little bit, who is Johnny Suarez? Give us the 60-second version. So I am Nito, Micah, and Ava's dad, Hannah's husband. That's who I am. And <laughs> I love if it. If you're wanting to know anything else, then you could, I guess you could ask them. But um, no, they, they, my son, my oldest son actually said, make sure to tell everyone that I didn't want you to go. And I said, well, <laughs> I have to go. He's like, no, but just tell them that. So if, if Nito your son did not want you to be here, he didn't want me this to was be Nito. Here. This is Nito. This Nito, is apologies. I'm the one that invited him to come. And he said, yes. So the invitation's on me. The acceptance of the invitation is on your dad. That's right. That's right. So I'm there in Berrien Springs, Michigan, near the campus of Andrews University. Uh, we do faith-based tours and experiences and travel. Yep. I've met David 19 years ago at a at an event for GYC. We've done a couple of these trips together. Uh, we've done a lot together. We've done a lot. We did a trip through, uh, we did a Reformation tour in 2017. That's right. And then we did a trip through Greece in 2019. Turkey. Yep. And Turkey. Yep. And uh, God willing, we'll do some more trips in the future. So John runs a trap, uh, Johnny runs a travel company. And um, also, you published my book. Yep. Both of my books, actually. Well, you helped with yep. one of them. and Distribution. Now, you mentioned that you're the wife of Hannah. We should let you know that Hannah, beautiful Hannah, is in this room right now. Hannah, say hi. Hi. <laughs> and we would love to have her. She'll be with us tomorrow. But there's just not enough room. As you can tell, we have to sit, like, basically on top of one another in order to make this work. But tomorrow, we will have Hannah. Tonight is Johnny again. And by the way... This is very, very important. We have a change of schedule tomorrow, and apologies if this is uh, going to make it difficult for you to make the live, but just remember, all of the programs that you see live here on Instagram are also on YouTube. They're uploaded within a few hours, and so tomorrow, this is very important, we will be live at 3 p.m. Mountain Time, okay? Not 7 p.m. like we are right now, but 3 p.m., so a full four hours earlier working around uh, other schedules. And so uh, apologies for the slight change. But again, if you can't make the live, that's okay. If you're accustomed to watching the live at 7 p.m., by the time 7 p.m. Mountain Time rolls around, the video will be live on YouTube. So you can still keep up and you don't have to break your schedule. But tomorrow we will be live at 3 p.m. That's a change of schedule. Also, really good news. Today, I scheduled two additional supplemental sessions. Bam! We're going to do, I'm almost tempted, okay, I'll tell you about one of them. One of them will be this coming Sabbath, and it'll be live in studio, and that's going to be with my good friend Sylvia, who you'll meet on probably Friday night, and then the other supplemental session will be with my good friend Elise, who's actually going to be, be doing a supplemental session on something she's writing a book about, and uh, I'm not going to tell you what either of those supplemental sessions are about, because I want them to tell you, but as we get closer, I'll let you know about them, but now we've got Supplemental sessions already, we've done two, uh, actually three, Jennifer Schwerzer, Anthony Bosman, Sean Pittman, 
And then we've got some lined up with uh, John Pickham, and then now Sylvia, Elise, Nathan Renner, hopefully Ty Gibson. So it seems like people are, are really enjoying the supplemental sessions, and I love being able to go a little deeper. And for example, when Sylvia's here, we're going to be going deeper on the law. We're going to be going deep on Mount Sinai. Uh, when Elise is here, we're going to be going deep on theodicy. I'll let her talk about that. Uh, when we get John Peckham on, we'll be going deep on genocide in the Old Testament, violence in the Old Testament, and then also on theodicy. Um, so we've got a lot in store for you, and uh, it's absolutely thrilling that you are with us on this journey. So, Johnny, tonight tonight we're in chapter 25 of, or 22 of Patriarchs and Prophets on our 75-day journey. And um, this is this was a big chapter too. Big. Like big, last nice. night was a big chapter. This is a big chapter. And uh, are you ready for this? I think so. You're ready. You love the story of Moses. Uh, it's my favorite. I you mean, told me at dinner tonight, it's your favorite story. You're, he's your favorite character in the Old Testament? Yep, yep. Um, because I run these tours, you know, we usually take anywhere from 50 to 100 people on our tours. Okay. And so when we do the logistics, handling the food you know, taking care of the itinerary, the hotels. Um, I, when I've read the story of Moses, I'm like, man, how in this in the world did he pull it off? Like a million people? <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of people. And here you struggle with like a few dozen. Like 50 or 100. And the big question for me is bathroom breaks. Like what happened with the bathroom <laughs> breaks? How did they figure that out? Because that's always the big trouble that I have. As somebody who has been with you on it, on two of those tours, I can say, Johnny, that you make a very good modern Moses. <laughs> and if there's anybody there with us live, um, and you've been on any of Johnny's tours, you know he runs a tight ship, and that's putting it mildly. I mean, the the way that you were able to marshal, you know, 100 plus people in some cases onto a bus. At, I mean, sometimes we're like, what, 7 in the morning? It's 6.30, we wake up, 6 we wake up at 7 a.m. Yep. Woo, Okay. So anyway, um, he's he's Moses. He's not Pharaoh. So he's a leader. He's not a slave driver. And if in uh, you know the the providence of your life you ever get the opportunity to go on a tour with Johnny and perhaps myself, uh, the tours are extremely well run. And uh, it's just fun. To, it's frankly it's fun for me to watch you try and rain. It's like herding cats, you know, trying to get this. So anyway. More on that. I'm sure you're going to have some illustrations. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're going to start with prayer, and then we are on day 23, chapter 22. Johnny, would you open for us? Sure. Okay. Sure. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we're grateful for you bringing us together, giving us life, giving us energy, giving us the opportunity to open your word one more time. Father, mm. we've left. We're now we're leaving the book of Genesis, and now mm. we're moving on to Exodus. And Lord, there's still a lot to cover, great insights to glean, mm. and we're grateful for that, Father. And so... As we open your scriptures, may you minister and speak to us, and may the lessons that we learn from this part of the life of Moses speak to us this day, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Johnny, did you have the same kind of problem that I had with this chapter, which was like last chapter, the lengthy chapter with the life of Joseph and, and sort of that whole big long story, it covers so much material, it's hard to sort of narrow it down and find that one thread, that one unifying idea. Did you find that? Yeah, tough? yeah. Okay. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting because even the way she ends the chapter, it seems like she's rushing through it. She's like, yeah. she's like, oh, let me just tell him this. And it doesn't have that clean finish as some of the other ones do, probably because there's just so much material. That's I mean, right. you're looking at three chapters, but a lot going on here. There's this huge transition. 
And so, yeah, sometimes it's a little hard yeah. to put it all together. When we talked about Patriarchs and Prophets as a long book, and it is mm -hmm. a long book, but in, in many ways, she's racing over material. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and there is some incredible writing. In fact, there's at least two, maybe three paragraphs today that I just want to highlight mm -hmm. for just the clarity and the beauty with which she communicates some ideas, and I'm sure you'll do the same. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point, because when we went through Desire of Ages, you know, we had, what, 87 chapters? And that's basically, what, three and a half years yeah. of ministry? Yeah. And now we are dealing with, what, hundreds, maybe thousands of years? Right. Well, sure, if you go all the way back to go, creation. Exactly. And so how are you going to cover all that? There's just so many stories. It's a lot of material. Okay, so here's what I do, especially when we have a chapter like this. It's big and it's long, and it it's covering so much material. I just quickly wrote down all of the high points of the chapter, mm -hmm. and uh, I was able to sort of shrink it down to 14 things. So I'll just read through these very quickly. So the Israelites increase, number one. Number two, a new pharaoh arises. Number three, slavery emerges, right, as a control mechanism um, because the new pharaoh's nervous and the other Egyptians are nervous about the proliferation mm -hmm. and the spread of the Israelites in the land of Goshen. Number four, the young children are ordered to be killed. Mm. Right? This is a particularly dark part of this story. Then we have number five, the birth of Moses, and then the tale of Moses' mother's faithfulness. Mm. Number six, Moses is saved and against all odds brought into the, the royal palace. Just amazing. And we'll talk about that. A lot of providence there. Mm. Seven, he's then raised as royalty in the house of Pharaoh. Eight, he then, as he's older and sort of 45 years old, goes out and kills an Egyptian. He flees to Arabia. I think we're on 9, 10. Mm. He marries Jethro's daughter, Zipporah. 11, shepherds for 40 years. 12, God appears to Moses in the burning bush. Uh, 13, he receives signs and the commissioning. Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, he meets with the Israelite elders. I mean, that's an astonishing amount of material. It's a lot. It's a lot. Johnny, we could pick any one of those 14 points and we could go long on that. So let's just kind of get into this. And um, what I'd like to do is just sort of move sort of quickly, as quickly as we need to. And then anything that pops out at you that you say, oh, I got a point there. I got a thought there. You just. Yeah, just a little. Go. So this was my assessment of it, like, you know, how you laid it out. I kind of divided this is in my head, um, the life of Moses into three parts. Right. So he's 120 years. So 40 years yeah, in Egypt, the same. then the 40 years in Midian, and then the 40 years uh, later on in the wilderness, right? Yep. So I kind of said, okay, what's a word that we can use? So 40 years as a dynast, then 40 years in the Midianite desert, and then 40 years as a deliverer, right? So dynast, desert, I don't deliver. know that word dynast. Dynast from dynasty. Oh, so dynast, dynast is oh, like a person that's next in line to be king. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So okay. this, was, this was him, right? He was going to be the next pharaoh. So dynast... Desert deliverer. Deliverer. Yeah. Ooh. That was my Ooh. just kind of breaking it down to say, okay, he's so he's he's got to go through the desert before he can be a deliverer, but he thinks he's going to be a dynast, but he's not a dynast, and he has to find out that he's not going to be that. And then God's like, okay, I think you're about right. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just a word about the math, and probably the opportunity for us to talk about this will come up. But one of the things that you didn't already know in the appendix in Patriarchs and Prophets, Appendix Three. The, the editors go in and describe that the amount of time that the Israelites were in slavery was not 400 years. Mm. You, you sometimes hear 400 years of slavery. It's not 400 years of slavery, as the Apostle Paul makes very clear mm. in Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, when he says, 
from Moses to the giving of the law mm. was 430 years. Mm. Or excuse me, from Abraham, I misspoke. Abraham. From Abraham to the giving of the law is 430 years. Well, there's nowhere to fit 400 years of slavery mm -hmm. in a 430-year period between Sinai and the call of Abraham. So what I've done is, is I've just sort of broken this down very briefly for you. And if you want to get more detail on this, you can go look at my Instagram account or my Facebook account tomorrow, and you can see the math because I put the math right in my journal. But basically, very quickly, I'll just run down this. From Abraham to Jacob entering Egypt. It's very important, right? Mm -hmm. So you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. When Jacob comes into Egypt mm -hmm. at the request of his son, Joseph, that's 215 years. So you can divide the 430 into two groups of 215, mm -hmm. right? 215 from Abraham to Jacob entering Egypt. Mm -hmm. Then from Jacob's entrance into Egypt until the Exodus, that's also 215 years. Now, here's a really cool little math. You're mm -hmm. going to love this. Mm -hmm. If you take that second 215, and how many years, do you remember, how many years was Jacob in 17. Egypt? 17. So yeah. 215 minus the 17. Okay. And then uh, it looks like Joseph lived another 54 years after that. Okay. So we're going to take 215 minus the 17 okay. minus the 54. Okay. And that gets us up to where we are here, which is the enslavement. And that period, strangely enough, is 144 years. Hmm. 215 minus 17, minus 54, is 144 years. So that's the amount of time that the Israelites were actually enslaved. So when we sometimes hear people say 400 years of slavery, it was not 400 years of slavery, because remember, when God appeared to Abraham in that vision, he spoke of the 400 years, and then Paul, many years later, when he's telling us how that 400 years is calculated, he says, oh, it's calculated like this, from Abraham to Sinai is 430 years. Mm of which 144 years, which is still a long, mm -hmm. long time, was the period that we would regard as properly enslavement. So that would be, what, seven generations? Like a generation is about a 20, generation is 20, 20 years. years. It's more than seven years, so it's so a long time. Passing on, passing on, and that, that's right. where you get the idea of there's a pharaoh that knows not, you know, God, he's, he's not acquainted with him, he's not familiarized with him because you got it. He's, he's never heard of him. Yeah, and I saw somebody on there say that, you know, 144, well, that's wild, that's 12 times 12, and the 144,000 is a very important number. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to give that some thought. I'd have mm -hmm. to think about that. It could just be coincidental or serendipitous, or there could be some significance there. Um, because this is a devotional study, I didn't go deep on that, but just a quick calculation on the 430, on the two 215s, it sure looks to me, and if I've got my math wrong here, go ahead and correct me, but 215 minus 17 minus 54, 144. So anyway, because you mentioned the math, the 40, the 40, yeah, yeah, yeah. 40, I thought it would be helpful because a lot of people, they read it and they think, where's the 400 yeah, years, yeah. right? Well, the 400 years is from the call of Abraham to the Exodus. Yeah, and it's very interesting. There's these like long periods of time when we're looking at all these stories, right? Jacob working for 14 years and then mm. they're there 17 years and then he's 40 years. And, and, I, and I feel like time is a big deal in these chapters. Very it's much so. God waiting to marinate your experience till you're ready, you know, whether it's 144 years of them going through slavery, right. whether it's 40 years in the desert. It doesn't happen very quickly. We saw Ooh. that with the story of Abraham, right? Yeah. We saw, it's like, oh man, God, when are you going to fulfill your promise? You said you were going to do this, but we've, we've been looking at the clock and it's yeah, been a while right. now. That's right. And God's like, yep, that's kind of by design. There's some things that I need to work out yeah. with you or with your children that needs to improve. And until we don't get that fixed, we can't move on to the next chapter. One of the things that that'll come up in my rubric, mm. that'll come up that very point about God's timetable mm. or God's schedule mm. 
features significantly in my rubric. So, and maybe we'll have other opportunities to talk about that. Okay, so let's just sort of dive right into the chapter. And right at the outset, we see that the Israelites are proliferating. And initially, there's this really favorable relationship between the descendants of Joseph and Egypt because the Pharaoh knew of Joseph. He knew of his great service to Egypt and to the surrounding nations. And so it does look a little bit like favoritism, like she says in the second paragraph, that they were exempt from taxes and that they were fed really well. But at the same time, you know, to the victor goes the spoils, right? Like at some level, you would be in a much, much, much worse situation if Joseph wasn't who Joseph was and if he hadn't interpreted the dreams and then had the, you know, the the, the wisdom and the industrious and industriousness or whatever, the ability to yep. execute the management of the feast years and then the famine years. So everything's going well until that Pharaoh dies and then you get a new CEO, right? A new boss comes in and he's like, hey, how come these people are being treated? And, and all of a sudden, the, the thing gets turned upside down and that apparent favoritism starts to look quite unflavorable. Yeah. You know, it doesn't look good to the Egyptians who she makes the point, many of the Egyptian people like owed a lot to the crown because mm -hmm. the crown had used this as an opportunity to leverage the things that people owned in order in exchange for grain. That's a very interesting point about favoritism because we just got off of the previous chapter dealing with the whole favoritism issue, right? With right. Joseph. And then you go even before that, you know, you have Jacob and Esau, and then, you know, his father favoring Esau. Right. You, you get the whole Ishmael and Isaac. So that right. seems to be kind of a recurring it's a theme, theme yeah. that God decides who he wants to give his blessings to. And man can try to alter that, but God is good all the time. Even the ones that it doesn't seem like they're getting the, the blessing, you know, Ishmael, he gives him his blessing. He gets Esau his own blessing. gets an opportunity. When Esau returns, he still has a lot of wealth. He still has, you know, sure. some, some, some substance with him. And even the Egyptians, they're benefiting off of what they're doing there. Of course. So I guess that, that idea of the sovereignty of God, of him saying, hey, I've got some blessings. I can pick what I give them to you. Well, let me throw this out there. What is the original request that's made by God through Moses to Pharaoh? The original request. Mm -hmm. I know I'm jumping way ahead of the story, mm -hmm. but, but what is it? Do you remember? When they want to go out for yeah, the yeah, three, hey, days? Let, let them, three days. Yes, we just want three days. Yes, that's it. Three days. It's an eminently reasonable request. It's basically a long weekend. You know, God's saying, hey, give my people a long weekend. You know, they need the Sabbath and then Sunday and then a Monday off, right? It's like a long weekend. And so you get the sense here that God is, as it were, testing the waters to see, hey, can I pour out my blessing on Egypt mm. as well? Mm. But when they refuse to receive his blessing, and we'll get into this tomorrow, mm. they receive the plagues, mm. right? So the idea here that God wants to withhold a blessing here and give a blessing here, we've already seen in the Abrahamic promise that God's intent is that in you, all the, oh, the families nations. of the earth will be mm. blessed. So God's intent is to bless everybody, but he doesn't bless everybody in the same way at the same time. Mm. Mm. And so that's going to emerge here. So the Israelites are growing they're proliferating in, and in fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise, that's right? right. Yep. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was the promise to Adam. That was the promise to Noah. That's the promise to Abraham. Now they're in a land called Goshen, but this isn't the promised land. Mm. But at least now they're starting to look kind of national, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. you've, you've got, you know, the, the 12 sons and they're all having children and apparently lots of children yeah. such that... Uh, Egypt begins to be nervous, right? And say, hey, you know, we don't like this. If anybody ever waged war against us and the Israelites joined them, they're in a, you know, vantage situation because mm -hmm. they're right here in our own territory in the land of Goshen. And so they say, you know, we got to manage this. And they 
turn that favoritism upside down, and all of a sudden they're slaves. Mm. And the idea is, is that this is going to crush the spirit of the Israelites, doesn't work. Mm. So then that measure is increased really tragically and terribly and demonically. And this is when the command to the Israelite midwives is, hey, look, when the Israelite moms, the mothers mm -hmm. are giving birth, if you, as the child is coming out, if you notice it's a girl, mm -hmm. you can save the girls. Mm -hmm. But if it's a boy, somebody that could be dangerous to mm -hmm. us in war, which is actually kind of wild because the men would have been stronger in the sort of, you know, efforts with slavery and building, mm -hmm. digging. Yeah, because you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. You're shooting yourself in the by, foot. By getting rid of your manpower. Literally manpower. Yeah. So he says, with the, with the boys, chuck them in the river. So this is, this is terrible, right? Like, this is not unlike the modern-day abortion situation mm. where it's like, well, this isn't the right time, or you're not the right gender, or you've got a developmental disability, or it's just an inconvenience. I don't want a child right now. What I like about this is somebody who is vigorously and unapologetically pro-life is that she says at the top of page 292 that Satan was the mover mm -hmm. in this matter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the idea, just the notion hey, I got an idea. Let's kill children mm. because they're inconvenient, because they're a threat, because they're whatever. Anything that follows, we're going to kill children because, fill in the blank, mm. there is no justification mm. for the killing of a child. And this is why she says that Satan was the mover in this matter. And she says that uh, by leading the king to destroy their children, he hoped to defeat the divine purpose. But the women, the, the midwives, feared God and they dared not execute the cruel mandate. She refers mm. to it as cruel mm. on two occasions. Mm. So then you get this great section, Johnny, and I'm just, again, pull me in here if I go okay. too fast or too whatever, if I miss anything. I'm going to read the author of Hebrews' description of the experience of Moses. This is Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 23. Hebrews 11, 23, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were... Not afraid of the king's command. Oh, I like that. Mm, there's, a, mm. there's a certain sort of stick it to the powers that be, stick it to the man mm, there. We're mm. not going to kill our child just because some ridiculous pagan foreign mm. king tells us to. No, thank you. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, just like his parents, mm -hmm, by the way. Mm -hmm. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he should... We're getting ahead, way ahead of the story here, but I'll just read it. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Last verse here. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. So this, this extreme summary in Hebrews 11 really helps us to get a feel for the importance of the life of Moses and especially of the unwillingness of the parents to capitulate to this cruel demand. So true. It's so true. You know, it, when we go on our tours, one of the final places that I take people on the extension is the British Museum, right? Okay. And so we've gone through two weeks Reformation. We've seen you know, the palatial dwelling of, of the popes. We've been in Rome. We've been up in the northern part. So we see all this stuff. And then we go to the British Museum. And I've always been inspired. When you go there, you see the mummified bodies of all of these pharaohs. And I tell people, one of the things that always inspires and gets me is what you don't see there, right? 
you see all, like Thutmose the third or whatever they are, and all these different pharaohs, but there's one missing. Right? Yeah. It's Moses. Yeah, there's right? no there's no Moses there. There's no Moses. And I love when I read that passage that he had respect unto the recompense. That the idea is that he valued something even Amen. greater than what he got there. And I, and I think to myself, we could be looking down at the remains of Moses, but instead Moses is looking down at us, right? Oh, because come he's on now. Right? Come so on I was now. like, man, he had it figured out. Instead of us looking Woo! at his remains, he's looking at me. And he's the That's one that hot. brings that brings comfort to Jesus. And he's like, Jesus, you can do, you can go through this. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I've gone through some tough <laughs> stuff, but you can make it, Jesus. And I'm like, man, he had respect unto the recompense. And I say, I well, if he could do that, then I I need to live my life as one who sees the invisible. Yeah. That's what the text says. Jumping ahead to page 296, mm -hmm. 246 of the uh, original pagination, it says. It says, worldly gain sank to its proper mm. insignificance in comparison. I mean, that's it, right? Like, compared to what was available to Moses, worldly gain sank mm. into its proper insignificance. Mm. What a cool way to say that. Mm. You know, the, the world and all that it has to offer, all of its promises of grandeur and glory. Mm. I love it. Uh, numerous times where the Old Testament prophets will say, look, Human beings are like the grass of the field. They're mm. like the flower of the field. The wind passes over them, the sun beats on them, and they're gone. Mm. And Moses, he, he discerned. Now, he didn't do it immediately, but he eventually came to understand, hey, wait a minute. There's something far greater, far bigger, and far grander than me. I want to be a part of this larger narrative, this larger history that God is doing. And we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But I wanted to read that, Hebrews 11. Beautiful. Um, okay, so... Then we know the story, the well-known story of the mother of Moses who makes this little craft, like a little mm. boat, out of reeds and pitch, puts it in the river, and then the sister Miriam is over there watching, observing, and then the cries are heard by one of the princesses in the, in the palace. She comes over, she sees the baby, mm -hmm. Miriam comes over and says, hey, do you want me to find an Israelite nurse? Mm -hmm. She says, that'll be great. And then in the providence of God, she gets paid. She's like, I'll pay you your wages. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, that's a sweet deal. Yeah. She's getting, not only does she keep the, get to keep her child, she's getting paid by the palace to do so. Yeah, I was thinking about that. You, I would imagine she had some mixed emotions, right? On the one hand, you know, she's going to be with the child. It's better than dying. But of course, in her mind, she's thinking, man, I would have preferred to have him my whole entire life. And then you, you almost, I got the sense that you have this countdown clock mm. that says, I'm not going to have him all the time. I'm just going to have him for a few years. Yes. So I'm going to have to spend my time, my energy, my abilities to pour myself out to this young baby because whatever influences I leave on him, they're going to be the only ones Amen. that are going to take him to the rest of his life. No, beautiful. She, I mean, there are at least, what, one, two, three, four, five, or six paragraphs in this that I loved. Mm. I mean, as somebody who is, who is the son of an amazing mother mm. and then married to an amazing mother. Mm. I just love the way that she just elevates mm. moms mm. and the contribution of moms and the value of moms. I just got to read a little bit of this. So this is 293. Uh, right in the middle of this is 244 of the original. She endeavored, Moses' mother, to imbue his mind with the fear of God and the love of truth and justice and earnestly prayed that he might be preserved from every corrupting influence. Mm. She showed him the folly of sin and idolatry, yes. and early taught him how to bow down and pray to the living God, mm. not an idol of wood or of stone or of metal, but to the living God, who alone could hear him and help him in any emergency. Because she knows that eventually she's going to have to hand him over 
Yep. And then he's going to be in the palace and very much like Joseph. And I saw a lot of similarities yes. between Moses and Joseph. And I see you shaking your head. Did you see the nodding your head? You saw the same? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of similarities here. One of which is Joseph went into a situation where he was surrounded by opportunities for idolatry, vice, sensuality, but he was faithful to the one true God, to the living God, right? Yeah. And Moses as well. You get that sense that kind of like Daniel, that determination or that decision was not made on a whim. It didn't happen just there. There was some labor. There was some planning. There was some yes. family issues going on and, and positive ones as well, because we, we normally talk about the negative ones. But something had to have been communicated to Joseph when he was a little boy. Correct. So that when he got there, he's like, no, 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 I remember. Correct. They taught me this. Oh, yeah. And my mom said that. And my... And so for all the sad stories that you see there with Jacob and the four wives and the dysfunction right. and, and the hardship, and, and I take comfort in that. You know, I'm not a mom and dad, obviously, but I take comfort in the fact that even in the dysfunction, you can still communicate to your children something that will outlast you, that when you're no longer there, when your mom and dad aren't there, they'll make good choices, right? Listen to this. Just going back, mm. Johnny, in reference to that, going back to chapter 20, Joseph in Egypt, page 257 mm. of the original, or 257 of Tyson's. Titan symbols 214 of the original. Listen to this paragraph. Then his thoughts turned to his father's God. This yeah. is just after he's been sold by the uh, by his brothers to the Ishmaelites. Listen to this. In his childhood, he had been taught to love and fear him. Often in his father's tent, he had listened to the story of the vision that Jacob saw as he fled from his home in exile and a fugitive. He had been told of the Lord's promises to Jacob. A little bit later, he had learned of the love of God and providing for a redeemer. And then it says, now all these precious lessons came vividly before him, and Joseph believed that mm. the God of his fathers would mm. be his God. So you're exactly right. Mm. Even though the home was in many ways less than ideal, mm. less than, you know, perfect, mm. the lessons that were, that were taught to him at that young age suddenly bubbled to the top. And the same kind of thing here. Mm -hmm. You know, Moses' mother knows, I only have a short time with this child. And even at a young age, it says that she's teaching him about the folly of idolatry. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I just absolutely love this. The folly of sin and of idolatry and how to pray to the living God. Yeah. It's almost Woo! like she's giving him a little preview of what he's going to see in the future. Yes. I, I read this fascinating quote that said, Love doesn't life doesn't come with a manual, but it does come with a mother. Life doesn't come with a manual, oh, come but it does now. come with a mother, right? So the mom Woo! is like your manual, right? And, and I think I put another little quote here of Rudyard Kipling, Kipling where he said, God couldn't be everywhere, and of course, he's not an unbeliever, but he said, and therefore, he made mothers. <laughs> so it was like, so moms could be checking up on you. But That's good. That's hot. But the idea that moms can be manuals, moms can help you to, to see the future, Amen. even though when you're a little child, you're not quite seeing it that way. But she's saying, look, you're going to see some stuff when you grow up, my son. Be ready for it. Here's what she says at the bottom of page 293. Those are great mm -hmm. quotations, Johnny. 244 of the original. Mm -hmm. The whole future life of Moses, mm. the great mission which he fulfilled as the leader of Israel, mm. testifies to the importance of the work of the Christian mother. Mm. And then how about Amen. this line? Amen. There is no other work that can equal this. Amen. To a very great extent, the mother holds in her own hands the destiny of her children. Wow. And she goes on to say not just the destiny of her children, but even of whole societies and of nations can be traceable back to a godly mother. I mean, if, if we don't have a godly mother in the case of Moses, mm. we don't have Moses. Mm. 
right? Behind Moses is standing a faithful mother, a godly mother, a courageous mother, an instructive mother, mm. right? And I know that we're living in a time and in an age right now mm. where the value of motherhood and of femininity generally is being significantly yeah. diminished. Yeah. No way. We need to be celebrating mothers at every turn, every opportunity. Every single great man or great woman that has ever done anything that we regard as great mm. by our temporal measures mm. had a mom. That's right. And in many cases, not all, but in most cases, there was a good mom, Very a mom who was who was changing diapers and feeding and teaching and comforting. And I mean, incredible. It is. It is. Women are just wired for this. And there are some men that are this way. But in like in my home, my my wife is like a baby whisperer. Mm. I mean, you 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 just give her a crying child, an upset child, and she picks up that child and she just does the she has the right motions and the right everything. And before you know it, and I've seen this over and over again, mm. she can just she can just she's just so good with children. You give me a child, I have the opposite. You can give me a perfectly happy, perfectly content child, and you put it in my arms, and within sixty seconds to a couple minutes, that thing is wailing and crying and I don't have that. I don't got that thing. And it's a very good point because you need a little bit of that or a lot of that, that contribution that and the more mundane things in life. Like sometimes I think, like you were saying, society has figured out a way to diminish the value of some of the, the most basic things that we need to do and right. it elevates other things. I, I read this little really cute little story that I that I wanted to share with you. I don't even know who it who it, it says Heather um, online, but I thought it was kind of cool. And, and the writer, she's a woman, she said, have you ever noticed how in the scriptures men are always going up into the mountains to commune with the Lord? Yet in the scriptures, we hardly ever hear of women going to the mountains. And then she says, but we know why, right? Because the women were too busy keeping life going. They couldn't abandon babies, meals, homes, Correct. fires, gardens, and a thousand responsibilities to make the climb into the mountains. She said, I was talking to a friend the other day saying that as a modern woman, I feel like I'm never free enough from my responsibilities. Mm. Never in a quiet enough or holy enough spot to have that type of communion that I want with God. And her response floored me. She said, that is why God comes to women. Men have to climb the mountain to meet oh, God. Oh, come on But now. God <laughs> comes to women wherever they are. Come on now. And she said she was pondering that for, for, for weeks through scripture. And she says, God does indeed come to women where they are when they're doing their ordinary everyday work. Hallelujah. He meets them at the wells where they draw water for their families. He meets them in their homes, in their kitchens, in their gardens. He comes to them as they sit beside sick beds, as they give birth, as they care for the elderly and perform necessary mourning and burial rites. Even at the empty tomb, Mary was the first to witness Christ's resurrection. Amen. She was there because she was doing the womanly chore of properly preparing Christ's body and she was for burial. For Come and on she now. was blessed for it. And then she says, in these seemingly mundane and ordinary tasks, these women of the scriptures found themselves face to face with divinity. Come on now. I thought that was powerful. Dude, that, that's, that's all time. That God comes to, to you when you're laboring, when you're working, when you think you're too busy, but God is still there. You know what it reminds me of is the little line that we saw in yesterday's chapter mm. where Ellen White says, there is really nothing that's small. Mm. Yeah, there's nothing mm. that's small. Everything is important. And particularly if it has to do with the raising of a... Johnny, think about this. Mm. God in his wisdom had human beings raise other human beings. Deep. I mean, it's we deep. raise other... I think this all the time. I look yeah. at my sons and I think, 
These two boys are a reflection of David and Violetta. Mm -hmm. We were entrusted with human beings, Mm. God's own children. Mm. God says, hey, here's a couple of my children that you can borrow for a time. Mm -hmm. I'm giving you the responsibility. I'm delegating to you the responsibility of raising people that I love, Mm. that Jesus died to save. I mean, it's astonishing. Mm. And the primary caregiver in most families, the primary Mm. caregiver, especially in those early years, the formative years, is the mother. Sure. So to think that there would be a, a move in modernity mm-hmm. to diminish mm-hmm. motherhood mm-hmm. is a move directly contrary mm-hmm. to Scripture. By the way, that's not to say that there are many women who are able to and mm-hmm. desire to mm-hmm. balance mm-hmm. career and motherhood, mm-hmm. right? They're saying, I'm not going to make a choice, mm-hmm. right? I want to be a lawyer or I want to be mm-hmm. a doctor and I want to be a mother. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Mm-hmm. And then there's other mothers that just say, you know what, for me, I believe God has called me just to pour myself as a mother into my family. Beautiful. And if you feel not called to have children, that's between you and Jesus. That's 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 fine. I got I'm no, no condemnation, no mm. judging. But there is a really beautiful thing that happens in motherhood. Mm. And Moses' mother is a great example of this. Mm. I mean, she just had him for those first formative years. And she's instructing. She's teaching. She's encouraging. She's preparing. And then Moses, for the next 30 years, Plus, mm-hmm. while he's in the palace of Pharaoh, he stays true. He stays a man of integrity. Mm-hmm. He stays. Con- Why? Where did all that come from? Mom. Mm-hmm. Not that dad wasn't a part of it, but the mom is mentioned. In fact, Ellen White has precious little to say in this chapter about Moses' you, dad. You don't hear anything. Well, he's about probably it. like you were saying in your little story there. He's out working. <laughs> he's out doing the do. Right. He's yeah. making bricks without straw. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we talked about motherhood. I'm moving right along. Mm-hmm. Um. Page 295, Johnny, I'm going to have you read us a paragraph if you don't mind. What is so it it's uh, 245, and it starts with, by the laws of Egypt. By the laws. By the laws, laws of Egypt. This by. is a great, great paragraph, and I wrote in the margin here, remarkable resistance. Mm, mm. Read us this paragraph. By the laws of Egypt, all who, all who occupied the throne of the pharaohs must become members of the priestly caste. And Moses, as the heir apparent, was to be initiated into the mysteries of the national religion. This duty was committed to the priests, but while he was an ardent and untiring student, he could not be induced to participate in the worship of the gods. He was threatened with the loss of the crown and warned that he would be disowned by the princess should he persist in his adherence to the Hebrew faith. But he was unshaken in his determination to render homage to none save the one God, the maker of heaven and earth. He reasoned with priests and worshipers, showing the folly. It's interesting that same word is used. Folly. If you going back to what the mom taught him, folly exactly. of their superstitious veneration of senseless objects. Come on now. None could refute his arguments. You get that same sense of like Jesus standing, you know, with the rulers. None could refute his arguments or change his purpose. Yet for the time, his firmness was tolerated on account of his high position and the favor with which he was regarded by both the king and the people. What do you think of that? It's fascinating. You know, one of the things that I, one of the um, issues that that I wrote uh, quite a bit about was his challenge of identity, right? And maybe we'll talk about yeah. that a little later on. But I think it was uh, Mark Twain who famously said, "There are two important days in every child's life: the yeah. day he is born and the day he finds out why." Right. There's that. There's that question. You know, who am I? I I asked my wife to bring my passport for me here, and uh, I was just going to show you guys a little bit. I, I've had the privilege of traveling to a few countries. And people always ask me, like, so where are you from? And it's kind of weird because I'm like, I was born in Mexico, so I have a Mexican birth certificate, 
But when I was born, you could have a U.S. birth certificate of a U.S. citizen born abroad. So I have a U.S. birth certificate and a Mexican birth certificate, and my mom is from New York of Puerto Rican descent. So it's always really awkward because I, when I go to the Puerto Rican side, they're like, oh, yeah, you're Puerto Rican. When I go to the Mexican side, well, you're not really Mexican. Even the Puerto Ricans don't always really accept me. <laughs> you're kind of trying to figure out. And when you're in America, you, they're like, so where are you from? I'm like, um, New York. No, no, where are you really from? And I'm like, <laughs> um, well, then I have to go on this whole entire story. You and have to I, explain everything. And then I tell them, like, where are you from? And they're like, yeah, I'm from here. I'm like, oh, you're a Native American. Which tribe? They're like, no, 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 no I, I'm not Native American. Well, then, then you're not from here. You're from somewhere else, right? Right. And, and this is the, the sense that you get with him dealing with at least That's three great. different identities, right? He's kind of, you know, Egyptian, but he's kind of yeah. Jewish. And then it's fascinating he's when Hebrew. he goes to Midian, he's kind of Midianitish as well. It's very interesting in the story. because yeah, he, he spends 40 years. 40 years. And he has kids out there. Right. And he marries a daughter of Jethro. He, he marries Ruel, Jethro's daughter. And it's very interesting when he gets to her and there's the seven... Um, women that are there and they go back to their father Ruel. they're like oh yeah we saw a guy and he's egyptian and i just thought to myself <laughs> he must have been like yeah about that i'm not really sure ladies i mean i kind of am but i'm not but i, I am but i'm not and and that's a constant theme that we're going to see here with him struggling with his identity who am i and that's that's the big one that he's going to ask later on don't you tell people that you're like what's that word you oh use? yeah i say i'm mexico new yorican that's what i am I'm a Mexico New Yorker. So Mexican birth, New York, grown up, Rican, Puerto Rican from my mom's side. Mexican New Yorican. That's it. I like that. I love it's, it. You're a Mexican. But this is a really great point about the identity because we live in a, a time right now, like with identity mm, politics, mm. and there's this like real effort to, mm. I think, cause people to think of themselves as fundamentally distinct from other people. Mm. But the truth is, we're all made in the image of God. We're mm. all uniquely individuals and what does paul say there's neither jew nor greek mm. there's neither slave nor free there's neither male nor female and it's it's fine you can be proud to be a mexican and you can be proud to be of puerto rican descent you can be proud to be from new york but the all of those other identities that we have have to be subservient to the largest Amen. identity that we have and that's that we are made in the image of god and we're redeemed by god Amen. Amen. so it's a celebration yes let's celebrate the individual identities and diversities that we all have but let's not let's not push those identities to such a, a place of essentialism that we deny our fundamental That's right. sameness. That's right. Do you feel that? Absolutely. And the goodness of God, that despite our differences, that despite our background, he unites us. He brings us together, which we, which we see later on in the story, is bringing so. the 12 tribes together. Okay, bottom of page 295. This was one of those sections that I thought was just such great writing. And... Um, this is also page 245 of the original, right at the bottom. After quoting Hebrews 11, 24 to 26, she says, Moses was fitted to take preeminence among the great of the earth. Now look at this. This is mm. phenomenal. Mm. To shine in the courts of its most glorious kingdom and to sway the scepter of its power. Mm. His intellectual greatness distinguishes him above the, the men, the great men of all ages as historian, poet, philosopher, general of armies, and legislator, he stands without a peer. Yet with the world before him, he had the moral strength to refuse the flattering prospects of wealth and greatness and fame. And then quoting from Hebrews 11, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I mean, look at what she's saying here. She's saying historian, greatest, poet, greatest, philosopher, greatest, general of armies, great. I mean, she's basically saying, 
that when it comes to just the criteria by which we would evaluate greatness mm -hmm. in the great men of mm -hmm. history, she says, no one stands higher than Moses. Mm. You know, it's interesting. It's, it's not even mentioned there. But when you were reading Hebrews 11, she also, the Bible talks about him being um, good looking, attractive. Beautiful. Yeah, he was a beautiful child. He was a beautiful child. And I was reading some of the commentaries that they were saying he was he was a good looking guy. And you're getting the same shades of Joseph, you know, also yeah, fair. A lot of Joseph similarities. So, so, so it's not like he, he, he had the whole package. Like sometimes you have people that are good looking, but they're not particularly smart, <laughs> right? And then you have people that are super, super smart. But you'd rather not have to look at them because you're like maybe not as physically, you know, well endowed or beautiful. But you're getting here a, a like my wife was mentioning that's that's his resume, right? And nowhere there does he even talk about the fact that he was a good-looking child. Right. And it's very interesting that with with um, the the Pharaoh's <laughs> daughter, she has compassion upon him. And one of the commentators was saying maybe because he was a cute baby, it, it helps, right? But it actually, have... does say the text says he was a beautiful baby. He was a good-looking kid. And then he gives. I think all babies are beautiful, but they all look very similar to me. Anyway, didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you're right. You're right. They're beautiful. Having the whole package there, he's like, hey, but that's not quite enough. I'd rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure. Because his fundamental identity was as a Hebrew. He had these sort of secondary identities as a Midianite and as an Egyptian, but his fundamental identity connected him to his Hebrew faith, which connected him to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and connected him to the one true God. He saw that as his his grounding, his taproot identity. And I like the next sentence where she says he had been instructed in regard to the final reward. Yeah. So it's almost like he had done the math. He had done the, the figures. Great he had point. come to the conclusion. He said, man, that's a pretty nice building. That's nice, man. Look at all the yep. stuff here. But hey, the final reward is even better. Right. And I look at that, and I'm like, oh, that's that's amazing. I love your point about being in the British Museum and we're not looking down on yes. Moses, right? The the remains of Moses. He's looking down Amen. on us. Amen. Because Amen. he's in glory. <laughs> yes. And by yeah. the way, by the way, a word that is actually not my word, but a word that I considered mm. is on page 296, 246 of the original. Okay. And it's the word beyond. Mm. Okay. Did anybody else pick this up? Okay. He looked beyond like the gorgeous palace. Yes. Beyond yes. a monarch's crown yes. to the high honors that will be bestowed on the saints of the Most High Kingdom Amen. untainted by sin. Amen. It'll be interesting to see if anybody select. That was, I had one, two, three, four, five words <laughs> that were in the running for this chapter. And one of my words was beyond. And I just love that idea that he sees the beauty of the palaces. Yes. He sees what could have been. He yes. sees the, the position that he would have occupied, right, in, among the royalty. But he sees beyond it. You know, he, he says, you know what I want to be? I want to be a shepherd. 40 years. Five, he did, of course, he didn't know this, but he, he, he had no way of yet knowing, but he never regretted. Looking yes. back, he wasn't like, man, I blew my chance. Well, she I actually stayed there. She says that exact word later on a few chapters. Right. She says he never regretted, Correct. which is absolutely fascinating. The fact that he was like, and, and you mentioned about the shepherds. I, I was looking at that because we, we read in, in, in Genesis that, the shepherds were abominable, right? So he yeah, nobody likes a shepherd. He became, they were like the lowest of the low. So he became everything that he that they hated to become everything that God wanted him to be. Come on, and in becoming everything that God wanted him to be, he became greater than he ever thought he could become. That's a great point. I'm so glad you raised the point about how the Egyptians hated shepherds. And I imagine him out there in Midian. The sun has set. He's looking at the stars. He's imagining 
that the dreams and the hopes and the aspirations that his wife told, that his mom told him when he was sitting on a lap are never going to come true. Mm. I was wrong about that. I know mom said that. And, he, <laughs> and then the Bible says that he was content. Like there's, the, there's that. That was one of my running for the words too. Content in just kind of being a shepherd. This is my lot. And this is what's going to happen. And, and what I thought was kind of cool, yeah. this is going back to the family thing, is it seems that the, one of the transition points is when he has that child. Because we keep mm. seeing that yeah, happen, that's, right? That's a thing. That's, ob- kids, that's a theme. You know, we saw that with Enoch. We saw them when they, the 12 sons, they had, the 11 sons, they have kids. They're middle-aged men. And he has Gershom, and he says, I'm a stranger in a strange, strange land. land. That's what I'm going to call my son. And he's just kind of given up on his dreams. And God's like, oh, about that. Yeah. I think you're, you're I ready. I think now. you're ready. And then that's, now, that's be, when things Okay, change. before we get to that, he, he now we're back in the palace of yeah, Egypt. Yeah. I know we're kind of jumping around, yeah. but we're back in the palace of Egypt. And she says that that he is often, I'm quoting, often stung to resentment by the mm. side of injustice and oppression. Mm. And he burned to avenge their wrongs, right? Which makes sense. If his primary identity is as a Hebrew, mm. he's a Hebrew in the skin of an Egyptian, mm. right? But in his heart, he's a Hebrew. And he's seeing the way that the, the, the thumb screws are being tightened yes. and the vice is being tightened on his people. You can feel the sense of, of frustration and anger and indignation at injustice. And so one day he's out on the field and he sees this quarrel between an Egyptian uh, or the, this Egyptian is uh, somehow, you know, being cruel to or, or oppressing one of his own people. And he punches the Egyptian and he dies and then he buries him. The next day, he sees two Hebrews quarreling, and he says, hey, knock it off. And then they say, are you going to kill us like that Egyptian? The word gets back to Pharaoh, and it's not just, hey, this was a one-off, and he killed this guy by punching him in the head really hard. It's, hey, there's an uprising, Mm. and Moses, from within your own house, is going to lead this uprising. Moses catches wind of this, and he has to flee to Midian. You know, this is an interesting point, because you get, again, the same shades that we've seen that with Jacob, and we've seen that with the brothers of somehow individuals, men, wanting to fulfill God's promises, the, the, the fact that Correct. God has she said he's going to do point. this, with their own strength and their own power. She literally, I'm going to read that right now. 297, 247 of the original. The Lord directed his course, and he found a home with Jethro, the priest and prince of Midian. Uh, next paragraph. In slaying the Egyptian, Moses had fallen into the same mm. error, so often committed by his fathers. That's a reference to Abraham. That's a reference to Jacob, that's a reference to Rebekah, taking into their own hands the work that God had promised to do. It was not God's will to deliver his people by warfare, as Moses thought, Mm. but by his own mighty power that the glory might be ascribed to him alone. So this point that you're making, she makes expressly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, just a, a word about this. There is a real similarity, and I've noted this many times in my preaching and in my thinking about the Apostle Paul, yes. there's a real connection here yes. between, you can make the case that apart from Jesus, yes. apart from Jesus, the person in the Old Testament that was the most profound instrument in the hand of God was Moses. And the person in the New Testament, again, apart from Jesus, that mm. was the most profound and influential instrument in the hand of God with the development mm. of the apostolic church and post-apostolic church was Paul. And, and Johnny, check this out. Mm. Both of them not only had a lot to learn, mm-hmm. they had far more to unlearn. Yeah. And both of them went where? They end up in the desert. They both go to Arabia. Arabia, same spot. They both go to Arabia, not to learn primarily, but to unlearn. And she makes that exact point. That would kind of be a cool promotional 
video for Saudi Arabia, come to Saudi Arabia, where you can unlearn everything you've ever learned. Right, unlearn. <laughs> I mean, she says, I'm reading now 298, 248 of the original. Moses had been learning much that he must unlearn. Mm. The influences that had surrounded him in Egypt, the love of his foster mother, his own high position of the king's, as the king's grandson, the dissipation on every hand, the refinement, the subtlety, the mysticism of a false religion, mm. the splendor of idolatrous worship, the solemn grandeur of architecture and sculpture, all had left deep, deep impressions upon his developing mind and had molded, to some extent, his habits and character. Time, change of surroundings, and communion with God could remove these impressions. Mm. It would require on the part of Moses himself a struggle as for life to renounce error and accept truth, but God would be his helper when the conflict should be too severe for human strength. So we get this picture here where Moses you know, never capitulated, never compromised, never wavered. That's not the case. Mm. Egyptian mysticism and the, the opportunity... Mm -hmm. In other words, she's saying it was a struggle mm -hmm. when he made the decision rather to, you know, suffer affliction with the people of God rather than endure, to endure the passing pleasures of sin. It wasn't black and white. It was a struggle for him. Mm -hmm. It was hard for him. In fact, the only reason that we that he left, at least as Moses himself tells mm -hmm. us the story, is because he was chased out. Mm -hmm. Right? He 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 fled, and you almost get the sense that should I stay? Should I go? Maybe I can work here. Maybe. And finally, God, as it were, chases him out mm -hmm. of there. And he takes that 40-year-long period, not only to be learning, but primarily to be unlearning all of the things that she describes in this paragraph. That's a fascinating point. I, I, I When I was reading, I was wondering, where is my median? Where is my opportunity yes. in life, whether it's on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it's sometimes maybe we got to take that little retreat to our own little Arabia and figure out how we can get away from the hubbub of life and say, Lord... Help me not just to learn stuff, but to unlearn, unlearn. to take stuff out. Colombian artist here says, you got to unlearn to learn it. Mm. And you know what? That reminds me of the weaving that we talked about yesterday. You know, you you tried to weave for evil, but God, what did you say? Rewove yeah, or reweaved yeah. mm -hmm. for good. Mm -hmm. So so what Moses is doing in these 40 years is he's unweaving. He's unweaving all of the error that had began to, you know, weave itself in with the truth, and I love this. Yeah. She says things, and I don't know if you noticed this. This okay. is another one of my words in the running here. Okay. Mountain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, mountain comes up over and over and over again, and she says that that amidst the, the beauty of the mountains mm. and the grandeur of the mountains, mm. he began to see how insignificant yes. and passing were the former beauties and the architecture and yeah. all of the art of Egypt just being outdoors. Yeah, something about mountains, because you can't make mountains, right? Right. Something bigger and better is making that for you that makes you small, that makes you feel insignificant. You. And so God is saying that's the kind of like the only way that I'm going to be able to, to unlearn and take out the tangled, you know, weave of, of, of false religion that he yeah. had. Perhaps. Yeah, the, the yeah. influence that had come mm -hmm. upon him. 299, 251 of the original, shut in by the bulwarks of the mountains. Mm -hmm. Moses was alone with God. Mm -hmm. The magnificent temples of Egypt no longer impressed his mind with mm. their superstition and falsehood. In the solemn grandeur of the everlasting hills, he beheld the majesty of the Most High and in contrast realized how powerless, this is your point, yeah, Johnny, yeah, yeah. and insignificant were the gods yeah. of Egypt. Everywhere the Creator's name was written. Hallelujah. Mm. Moses seemed to stand in his presence and to be overshadowed by his power. Here, 
His pride and self-sufficiency were swept away, but it didn't happen overnight. Mm. And it didn't happen in a season, mm. right? It happened over 40 years. In the stern simplicity of his wilderness life, the results of the ease and luxury of Egypt disappeared. Moses became patient, yes. reverent, yes. and humble. Yes. Beautiful. And, and it was nature that did that. And it was reflection, not just on nature, but on nature's God. Yes. We need to spend more time outdoors. Amen. You know, just being outdoors, whether it's, you know, being in the mountains or looking up at the stars or standing on a beach and looking out mm -hmm. at the ocean, we, and there's numerous studies that confirm that being outdoors in nature mm. is good for our brains, mm. it's good for our thinking, it's good for our emotional state, it's mm. good for our physical state. And it's Moses therapy. is out there day after day, he's seeing sunrises and sunsets, mm. and he's seeing beautiful stars, and he's hearing birds call, and he's watching migrations. I mean, you're going to learn a lot. You spend 40 years yeah, largely yeah, yeah, yeah. in nature, yep. you're going to become a naturalist. He's like a John Muir type figure here, yeah. a John Audubon type figure here, wandering in the wilderness. He would have known every mammal. He would have known the birds. He would have known their calls. He would have known where the snakes like to reside. He knows he's a naturalist. That's, that's a very interesting point because later on when he takes the children out of, uh, the children of Israel out, out of Egypt, he kind of knows some of the stuff that's coming up because he spent some time out there. And the thing that, you know, may have, I think you'll probably touch this later on. When you talk about time, it may have seemed like a waste of time. Like, why does he need right. to be there for 40 years? Correct. Not a lot of people out there in the mountains, just him and his family and a bunch of sheep. And it's exactly the antidote that he needed to overcome pride and yeah. self-sufficiency and sweep all of that away. And she says that it was in this period that he wrote the book of Genesis. Oh, that's a very good point. It's, it's, it's in this period that he has all of his time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you, I tell you, I tell you. One of the things that modern life has stolen from us mm. is the ability. I, I listened to a TED talk and a podcast on mm. this oh, probably a year ago to be bored. <laughs> Nobody ever wants to be bored anymore. Every moment we have to have a screen in front of us. Yeah. We're listening to a podcast. We're texting somebody. We're, we are continually being stimulated. And we've gotten to the place now where if we're not talking to somebody, looking at something, hearing something, doing some active thing, we think we're wasting time. Mm. And this podcast that I listened to said actually the opposite. The brain literally needs latent periods mm. where you're just not doing anything mm. so that you can have creativity and not just creativity, you can have industry and excellence and efficiency. And what Moses had was years to move more slowly, to move. Mm. And you know what I heard years ago, Johnny, mm. and you'll like this as somebody okay. who leads tours mm. around you know, you know, large portions of, of the mm -hmm. globe. Mm -hmm. I, I read this great quotation. It said, there are two ways to travel. Okay. Two ways to travel. You can travel the earth, travel the which earth. you've done a lot of. Little bit, How many yeah. countries have you been in? Uh, 67. So you've traveled the earth. You've been okay. in. That would have been unthinkable in the days of Moses. Yeah. Right. Sure. To see what you've seen, unthinkable at, at any period in the biblical times. Yeah. Right. Even New Testament. So two ways to travel. You can travel the earth. Okay. Or watch this. You can travel with the earth. Huh. What that means is you stay in one area, one region. One valley, and as the earth turns through its subtle changes, its seasons, its migrations, the flowers, the, the blossoming, you, you begin to notice. Mm. I had a, a really lovely guy in the last church that I pastored. He was a, a dear friend, and I loved his wife and his children. His name was John. And John lived his whole life. He was 50 years old, roughly, maybe late 40s, early 50s. He lived his whole life right there in the, basically the same area to the just south of the Queensland border. And 
he was a surfer and he just knew things. Hmm. You'd be standing out with John on his property. He had this big, beautiful piece of property and, and he would say, oh, did, did, you, did you sense that? And he'd say, <laughs> what? What, what are you talking about? He'd say, oh, the wind just shifted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right now. And he would just know where the surf would be good. Wow. He heard bird calls. He would know like literally the day mm. that the white-throated warblers arrived on his property. He was so in tune. Mm. Now, John has not done a lot of traveling. He's sure. not done anything like the traveling that you've done, 67 countries. But I love this idea mm. that for this period of Moses' yes. life, he's traveling, not the earth, he's traveling with the earth. Mm. And he's learning and he's growing and all of this subtlety and all of this, what we would call downtime, yeah, yeah. is shaping him. It's molding him. And uh, and we see that even with the life of Christ, right? Those 40 wow. days in the wilderness where there's just like this pause button that he's just going to have to get away from it. And I think you're absolutely right. We need to spend and be more intentional on taking that time to travel, not just around the earth, but even just where we're at and enjoy some of the beauty of nature. She makes the point that um, it was it was in this period, and she talks about the mountain, the mountain, the mountain, the mountain, over and over again. And she makes this great point that it was here that he learned to not trust in himself, mm. in his own ideas, in his own strength. Mm. I don't know if you noticed this or not, mm. but in Moses' own telling of his story in mm. Exodus, in Exodus 2, mm -hmm. Moses doesn't tell us a lot. Like his own biography of himself, his autobiography, is actually extremely yeah. short. Yeah. And one of the things that's very interesting is that in rapid succession, Moses presents himself to us as kind of a tough guy, right? Think about it. When Moses chooses to tell us what kind of a person he was, the first thing that he says, you know, one of the first things he says there in, in Exodus 2 is um, that he killed a man by punching him. The next day, okay. he's like the guy that's going to break up the fight and get everybody to, hey, hey, can't we all get along? Then remember, when he gets to Midian, there are shepherds there that are not allowing the daughters of Jethro to come. And what, is, what does Moses do? He said, hey, whoa, 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 do we have a problem here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moses presents himself as kind of a tough guy. Yeah, it's, uh, maybe he's kind of self-deprecating himself. Like, man, this is the kind of person that I was. That's my point. That's my point. I think that he had to come to realize it's not going to happen with his muscles. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen with his brain, incredible as it was. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be something God is going to do. And this is the point that Ellen White makes. She says that when God appears to him in the burning bush, now we're at the burning yeah, bush, yeah. the only thing he's got in his hand is a, is a rod. That's all that's left. And she says that this deliverance is going to happen in, in such a way, and this is her language, mm. in such a way to pour contempt oh, yeah, on that. human pride. This is not going to be through Moses' muscles. It's not going to be through, it's going to be through God. God's going to get all the glory. And even though he has a well-honed instrument physically, intellectually, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be Jesus. It's going to be God is going to do this. You know, that reminds me of something that you said. I don't know if you, you share this here, but it's something that you have in one of your sermons. When you talk about circumcision, maybe you could tell us where, where you say how God, circumcision was kind of like saying God saying, hey, I'm going to cut that thing off yeah. and I'm still going to fulfill my promises. That's right. That's right. Even if your male parts have been mutilated, right. even though it seems like there's not much going on there, I'm still going to fulfill right. my promise. So in a similar fashion, you have Moses Correct. here. And Moses has come out of this, this glorious palace with great reputation, and at least initially, and the possibility of being the next pharaoh and having greatness. And he's, he's there with a bunch of little sheep, and he's got his little rod. And God's <laughs> like, oh, that's all you got left, right? Yeah. We'll, now we'll we're ready. That. We're ready. Thank you. Now we're ready. This is a great point. I'm so glad you reminded me about the circumcision point, because mm -hmm. 
Basically, what God is saying in circumcision is you're an old man with a barren wife and wounded genitals, and I'll still keep my promise. I love that. I love I'll that. still keep my promise because my promises are not dependent on what you bring to Amen. the table. You know what you bring to the table? You bring belief. Abraham believed and it was counted to him mm. for righteousness. And we saw this in the chapter on Joseph. Joseph fully believed. Mm. Moses did not yet believe. Mm. He had to go unlearn self-reliance. He had to unlearn self-dependence. And I think when he finally got to the place where, like you said, mm -hmm. he was just like, well, like, I guess I'm just going to be a shepherd for the rest of my life. Then all of a sudden he sees something strange. He, oh, that's an interesting sight. That bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. He walks up to what he thinks as a naturalist yeah, yeah, yeah. is an unusual sight in nature. And all of a sudden, take off your, and he's like the voice, the sonorous voice of Yahweh. And now it's not the end of, this is not, the, this is not your future. This was a training ground. Beginning. And even though you're 80 years old, your life is just getting started. That, that's, that's just powerful, man. To think that right when humanity is like, all right, God, it didn't happen. God's like, yes, let's get it rolling. Now we're ready. What blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. Blessed are those that recognize their spiritual poverty. Blessed are those that bring nothing to the table. Mm. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. So God says to him, what's in your hand? Mm. And then he says, throw it down. Mm. And then it turns into a snake. And Moses is just like, and then you know what God says? He says, pick it up by the tail. Yeah. And by the way, Moses drew back. Doesn't it say that he drew back yeah, yep, from the yep, snake? That's right. So, so there are... I just lived in Australia, mm -hmm. and in Australia, we have uh, six of the 10 deadliest, most poisonous snakes in the world. <laughs> and you learn real quick in Australia, if you're going to spend time in the outback, like I spend a lot of time in the outback and in the rainforest because I'm a birder, you learn real quick which are the snakes that are fine, like the carpet pythons and the green tree snakes and the brown tree snakes, and the snakes that are snakes to be avoided, like the brown snake and the tiger snake and the red belly black snake. So when Moses puts his staff down and it becomes a serpent, and he draws back from it. You know what that tells you? What? It was a poisonous snake. He, he, yeah. oh, that's Moses he, knows every snake in this area. He knows the ones that are poisonous and to be avo avoided and those that are harmless. And then what does God say to him? So God turns into a poisonous snake. Why would he draw back? That's deep, man. Because first of all, he says, you got to get rid of the one thing you have left. Correct. Right? He's only got one thing. And he's like, okay, you got to get rid of that. And then he takes the one thing he has left and he turns it into something poisonous that's not attractive. So now he really has nothing. Like, he got nothing. Oh, and, and he's gets, running away it, from it the more amazing. Bit. Okay. Have you ever picked up a snake? Uh, not yet. Have you ever seen anybody pick up a snake? I have seen it. How do people pick up snakes? Don't they grab it by the tail? No. no, no by no, the head? No, no, is no. it by the head? So what you do is you, you grab trap the, it and you top. grab it just behind the head. You need to hold a snake oh, just behind the head. The Otherwise it can't get you. That's the New York side of me. If, that's it. No. <laughs> if you pick a snake up by the tail, if you grab a snake by the tail, what do you think happens? It bites you, right? It bites you. So when God says to him, he doesn't just say, pick up the snake. Well, Moses would know how to pick up a snake. Done that before. What does he say? Doesn't he say, tail. pick it up by the tail? Tail. Am I wrong? Am I remembering yeah, yeah, this song? Yeah. Yep, yep. He says, exactly pick it up said. by the yep. tail. You know what he's saying? Yep. Trust your life to me. Amen. Pick up that poisonous snake. First of all, throw down the only thing you've got left. That's a great point you mm. make. And pick up that poisonous snake by the tail. God is saying, everything that you have is mine. Your life is mine. You have to trust me. This is not going to be with your strength. It's not going to be with your wisdom. This is going to be a thing I'm going to do, which she makes this great point. She says that at first he's, you know, demure and he's modest. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, not yeah. me. I, I don't even remember yeah, the language. Yeah, yeah. And she says at first it was fine. Yeah. You know, first it's like, okay, you're being humble. Great. But then when he pressed his point, God's like, what? 
Who made man's mouth? Now you're insulting me. That's right. I just turned a staff into a snake. <laughs> and then he did the thing with the hand, you know, yeah, your hand, yeah, and it came leopard. out leprous. What yeah. he's saying here is, is your life is in my hand. He's yeah. not, this isn't a magic show. Hey, want to see something? Watch this. I'll pull a rabbit out of a hat. No, yeah. he's saying your life is in my hand. Mm -hmm. You have to trust me. You have to believe that when you're, what does it say? Man's extremity mm -hmm. is God's opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. When you're at the end of your rope, I'm just getting started. It's very interesting Come on that he's saying that because it's, you're getting the same flavor of Isaac with, um, you know, with his son, right? Or, or what is it? When, when he takes him, you know, to Abraham and Isaac. Right, yeah. where God does something that doesn't make oh, sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really strange. With the sacrifice it's of Isaac really, on yeah. Mount And then the same thing is happening here, where God is turning his staff into a poisonous snake, and then God is asking him to do something that seems very unreasonable, to grab that by, by the tail. But ultimately, like you said, to say, hey, you've got to trust me. That's the only way we're going to get through this. Amen. Woo! Okay, you ready for the rubric? All right. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah. Let's do the rubric. And we, we listen... That was like we missed a lot of stuff, oh, there. and we, we know we missed a lot of to stuff. To the the God saying, you know, who when He says, oh, "Who you are? Who am I? I am that I am. I am that I, I am. am has sent you. Who shall I?" Okay, we'll have time to talk about the I am, of course. Yes, lots of time. But let's get to the rubric, Johnny. The point, the person, the prayer, the practice, the promise. No. You ready for this? Yes. Um, how many notes do you have? Look at that. I had a bunch of stuff. That we didn't even What's discuss. the best thing that we didn't discuss? You give give us one last gem. Oh, Come on, one man. thing. You, you gotta Okay, okay. So one of the ones that I really loved was water, right? Moses, perhaps more than any other biblical character. I was reading this guy, he said, um, he's intimately associated with water. Water plays an important role in his birth story, yeah. also in the odd and oblique way of his premature death. In between water. In between these things, water shows up at important stages in his life. Uh, his chance meeting with the seven Midianites' daughters at the well, his encounter with Pharaoh at the Nile, the parting of the Red Sea, and then ultimately he doesn't get to cross the Jordan River into the promised into land. the promised land. So Ooh. he ends in the water, and 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 I just put here these are just so his life begins in the water, his life ends looking at the water. He leaves the water, which is the place where he's drawn out, goes back to the water. He's saved by the water through the water. And then the part that I really like is ultimately when you get to the end of the book, Revelation 15, there's a song of Moses and they sing that in a body of water, right? Remember, they sing it of course, the, of course, the on the sea of, of glass. glass, the song of Moses and of the Lamb. And so I love it, it kind of gives you this idea that God was moving through the water. He was doing some great stuff and he was allowing him to go through some the passing of through the Red Sea. You mentioned that that was one. The other one that I really uh, that I had some notes on was the word uh, Moses. It can be translated, so, so some, some uh, scholars say that if you translate it from the Egyptian, it's actually son or son of, because she actually says that in Hebrew, he called it my son, right? And then in Hebrew, it's drawn to out, draw out, to drawn out. So I just wrote down seven times that he's drawn out. So Moses is drawn out of the water, he's drawn out of Egypt, then he's drawn out of Midian, then he goes back from Midian to Egypt, so okay. he's drawn out of there, and then out of the wilderness, out of the mountain, and then my seventh one, he's drawn out of this world. Right when, when he's resurrected and he goes to heaven and he's drawn out. And I was like, man. Go down those one more time. So let me see if I can remember them. He's drawn out of the water. Yeah. He's drawn out of Egypt. Yeah. He's drawn out of Midian. Yep. He goes back to Egypt and he's, he's drawn, drawn out, out of Egypt. Then he's drawn out of the wilderness. Of the wilderness. Then he's drawn out of the mountain. The mountain. Yep. And then he's drawn out Sinai. of this world. And then out of this world. That's hot. I thought it was powerful. I was like, man, I want to be like Moses. I want to be drawn Dude, out. Dude, draw me out. Draw I mean, me. Think about Abraham was drawn out. Get out of your father's land. Come. 
And, and that's why when we come down to the, the book of Revelation, you know, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, mm. that great city. Come out come of out. her, my people. God is drawing us out. And he's always drawing us out to something better. That's right. With no the, wonder we're going to sing the song of Moses and yes, of the Lamb. Yes. With tender cords have I not drawn, drawn you. thee. There's that loving kindness. There's the wooing that God is doing for humanity. He did for Moses. He can do for us. One of the things that comes up in this chapter a lot is the, especially in the, the biblical chapters, Exodus 1 to 4, is God again and again and again reminds Moses, and then Moses reminds the Israelites mm. That, that I'm remembering, I'm fulfilling mm. the covenant that I made with yes. your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It always goes back to that Abrahamic covenant. Yes. In you and in your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And remember that that, that promise re mm. revolved around land and descendants. Mm. Well, now we have descendants, and they're going to be taken rather circuitously mm -hmm. because of rebellion, but they're going to be taken into the promised land, land and descendants. That's right. And one more th quick thing that we have to note, when God appears to Moses, he says, tell Pharaoh to let my son go, mm. my firstborn. Mm. So Israel is now not just a nation, not just the descendants of Abraham. Mm. God refers expressly and purposefully to Israel as his son. Mm. And this becomes extremely important for us when we begin to get to the New Testament. Mm. And Jesus is the son right. of God. That's right. He's the son of God. Okay, so we could spend a lot more time on this. Um, Johnny? Point, person, prayer, practice, promise. What was the point of this chapter? Okay. Real quick. I have, let me see here. For point, I just put, like Moses, God desires not only to remove his people from Egypt, but more importantly, to remove Egypt from, from them. his people, yeah. Yep. He wants us to trust and see the invisible. The Hebrews 11 thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I put, I wrote to tell the story of the birth and call of Moses and the birth and call of God's son, Israel. Right, the national birth, and to transition from beginnings, mm -hmm. Genesis, to realization, Exodus. Yes, yes. Now we're going to have the actual realization of the Abrahamic promise, land and descendants. Amen. Okay, Amen. what do we learn about the person? So I put here, uh, Jesus is the new and improved Moses, right? He's the ultimate Ooh, Moses, right? Yes. He is the great drawer. You get the shades of, if I be lifted up, I will Moses draw, or draw out draw. or draw all men to me. Beautiful. And then I put in here, he can and will not waste any crisis because he, Moses is going through a bunch of crises. There's several things that are happening Great that point. are just mind-boggling in his life to give us a chance to be drawn closer to him. Beautiful. So no trial goes, goes wasted. That's right. That's right. I put God overrules the clumsy and uncreative mm. efforts of Satan. Oh, I got a great idea. Let's kill all the babies. And God's like, I got a workaround <laughs> yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the very thing, your clumsy and uncreative plan. Oh, let's just kill people. <laughs> just like the classic movie villain. No mm. creativity, just, just ridiculous. Mm. And God's like, I'm going to take, I'm going to show you how uncreative you are. The very thing that you tried to do to thwart my plan I'm actually going to turn that into the mm. deliverer that will bring my people out. Mm. Then I also wrote that God delivers in his own time, in his own way. Amen. Amen. He draws us out in his own time and in his own way. Johnny, how do we pray this chapter? So I just put uh, the words of that famous song, Lord, may I turn my eyes upon Jesus, look full at his wonderful face. May the things of earth go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that's what happened with Moses. She talks about how the things of Egypt sank. faded into, what was that great language yeah. that she used there? They, they sank, was it? They sank, but she used a phrase that was yeah, just yeah. too good. Sank to its proper insignificance. Love it. Love it. Lord, help us to see the world around us in its 
proper insignificance. Amen. Amen. Um, here's what I wrote. God, help me to endure as one who sees the Amen. invisible. That's hot. Yes, yes. And to choose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather to, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I Amen. went straight Hebrews 3. Amen. Beautiful. Johnny, how do we practice this chapter? Practice? I mean, I, I went with another scripture text. Help me each day to set my affection on things above where Christ sits on the right hand of God and Moses by God's grace, that I may be dead and my life may be hid in Christ with God. Woo! That's my prayer. You went straight biblical. Yep, that's my, hopefully my practice. Amen. My practice is to give my life mm. and my unqualifications, Amen. including my mouth, to God and his work of liberation and justice mm. and mercy. Friends, it's one thing to bring your qualifications to mm. God. It's an entirely different thing to bring your unqualifications. I love it. And that's what God did with Moses. He said, I don't need your qualifications. No, what I need is your mm. unqualifications. Mm. Say, well, but I can't talk and I can't. And God says, now we're getting somewhere. Mm. Years ago, a, a, a really wise pastor was speaking to a friend of mine and me, and he was saying, you know, we were both getting ready to hold these evangelistic meetings. My first, my friend's first. And mm. he said, are you guys ready? Do you feel like you're ready to go? We said, no, we're terrified. We're not, we're not ready at all. Mm. We've never done this before. We think the whole thing is going to be a complete flop and failure. <laughs> and we're nervous as can be. And he said, perfect. Now you're ready. <laughs> right? So it's one thing to bring your strengths and your qualifications to God. Mm. It's an entirely different thing to bring your mm. unqualifications. God says to you, what that, what's that last thing mm. in your hand? Mm -hmm. What's that last thing mm -hmm. that you think you mm -hmm. have? Throw that down. Mm. Give me your life. Mm. Amen. Woo! Amen. Um, Johnny, what's God's promise to you? Um, again, I went with with that beautiful text, and they sing they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, "Great and marvelous are Thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and, and true, true are Thy ways, not oh, my ways, King of Saints, but Thy ways, Thou King of Saints." So you went straight eschatological. I said, "Hey, I you went go new heaven, new earth." Revelation, take me to the last part of the story. I want to be there. I want to sing that song in the sea of glass with Moses Thank looking you. at him and rejoicing. Amen. Um, as a preacher, as a communicator, I, as a teacher, I claim the promise, I will be with your mouth. Amen. To me, that's funny. Mm. That's a funny thing that God said to Moses. Moses is like, oh, I can't speak the language. I don't really. And God's <laughs> like, not only will I be with you, he said, I'll be with that clumsy mouth of yours, right? Like, because he hadn't spent a lot of time talking to people, right? Certainly he would have been talking to his father-in-law and to, uh, you know, his family, but he's not in the courts. He's spending a lot of time with mm. sheep. He's spending a lot of time outdoors. He doesn't remember the Egyptian and he just feels mm. like, I'm not a talker anymore. That period of my life has passed. And God's like, I will be with you and with your <laughs> mouth. <laughs> What's left of it. Um, Johnny... And Hannah, I'm going to invite you to come over as well. I, I asked Hannah if she would just come over and stick her beautiful head in here <laughs> at the end. And uh, so let's get what everybody else's words are here. All right. Words. Hannah, come right in here. There, say hi. Hi, Hannah. Come on in here. Get right in here. There we go. Okay. So let's see what everybody's words are. Let's see. Um, DA needs to preach that Daniel and Revelation <laughs> series again. Okay, I will do that. Okay, Naomi says... Rod, I, they're easier for you to see, Johnny. You yeah, Rod, them. purpose, preparation. Tell me if you... Well, that, preparation you is good. Is that, is that yours? Development, nope. unlearn, time. Unlearn is a great word. Okay, great ones. Deliver, overrule. Okay, that's great. Ooh, Lessons. Jen, I like that. Go. My word was struggle. Someone went with struggle. struggle. Unlearn again. Seth went with unlearn. Chosen. Uh, another go. Another faith. Cassandra says faith. That's okay. good. Mar Marco, man, unlearn is a unlearn? popular yeah, word. Yeah, it looks like it's a great one. 
Training. Training. Great, great word, great word. I haven't seen my word yet. Yep, I haven't seen mine either. You seen Unlearned, yours, nope. To nope. learn, growth, change, but preserved, speak, mm. deconstruct. Whoa, okay. went straight okay. deconstruction. Okay. Like Unlearn. Jen says, hi, Hannah. Hi, boo. <laughs> Trust, humbleness, humility, trained, commissioned, faith. These are all great yeah, words. I still haven't seen my word though. I haven't seen mine either. You no, have you seen yours? No. What? Okay. Rod. Okay. Oh, Sandy Patterson says, "Great guest. This was inspiring." I agree, Sandy. Unshaken. unshaken. Oh, unshaken's really good because yeah, yeah. she says that in the in the in the palace he was unshaken. He was unshaken. Yeah, he was unshaken. Oh, that's good. Unranked. Draw. Yeah, that's a great draw. Is a really. That's going to be your word. That's, that's your word. Not my word. That's your word. That's not my word. I knew you were word. Was that yeah. your word? Yeah, it's actually drawn. Drawn? Drawn? But, but he missed out on one point with drawn. But I'll Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay. So you talked about the drawing out, but you didn't mm. talk about the drawing too. So he was drawn to the burning mm. bush. Oh, and on page, on page 292 in Types and Symbols, it says, and the parents believing that the time of Israel's release was drawing near. Yeah. So he had this idea of drawing near. And he was drawn to helping his brethren, even since oh, he like that. Yeah. killed the Egyptians. So not just drawn out, but drawn yeah. to. Drawn yeah, the burning bush was an unnatural sight, yep. and he's drawn to Yahweh. Yep. So he's drawn yep. out to be drawn to. Yep. Yes. Even though he tried to. Drawn. Drawn. Yeah, that's a yep. great one. I like that. Okay, Johnny, what's your word? Okay. Oh, mother. Sandy Patterson says mother. Watch. That was almost my word as well. Motherhood or mother. Um. Yeah, motherhood. Yeah, qualify. I mean, Ruby says, "Preach, sis." Yeah. Come on now. Yes, <laughs> I love it. Okay, my word. You want to take a guess? It's not drawn. Your word was. I I don't know. Did you mention it? No, I didn't mention it. Well, how am I gonna guess it? Well, it's mentioned in the in the, in the oh. text, so I didn't. It wasn't one of those words so that you were just getting. Okay, here's the ones that I was thinking okay, about. Okay, what did you have? What were you mm -hmm. tough? Here's mine. Is yeah. one of these <laughs> mountain motherhood beyond forty? Remember. <laughs> Yeah, the three forties. Okay. 40, 40, 40. Is it any of those? No, it's not. But yours was remember? No. Well, no he has oh, it's not. My word is mountain. Oh, mountain. Yeah, mountain. Because she talked mountain okay. over and over again. And she also talks about, she doesn't use this exact language, but she says that, that the calling out of the children of Israel seemed an impossibly difficult task. It was mm -hmm. a mountain. And remember, Jesus said, if you will say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, if you have... You know, just as much faith as a grain of mustard seed, and he spent time in the mountains. And I'm a mountain climber. That's good. And I just love this idea that we go to the mountains, yeah. and then God appears to him and says, "On this mountain, yeah, you're going to bring the, you're going to bring the people yeah. to this That's mountain." It's very good. So I saw the mountain not only as the destination, yeah. but yeah. I saw it as the journey. That's good. It's both. That's good. That's good. The mountain is the destination love of the it. journey. Come love on. It. Love it. Okay, so my word what is became became. So I, I'll just read to you the three passages. Became from his humble cabin home. He has he was taken to the royal palace. This is the story of Moses to the daughter of Pharaoh, and he became her son. And then a few paragraphs later, she says, "In the stern simplicity of his wilderness life, the results of the ease and luxury of Egypt disappeared. Moses became patient, reverent, and humble, very mm. meek and above." And then the last one is, "The greatness of his mission called into exercise the best powers of his mind." God blessed his ready obedience, and he became eloquent, hopeful, self-possessed, and well-fitted for the Ooh. greatest work ever given to man. So, so this is kind of your three parts. This is my three-part series. Is he the went, dynast, that's right. the desert, that's right. the deliverer. deliverer. And there's your, he became, he became, he became. He became. Amen. And, and so my prayer, I didn't want to use it in my prayer, but my prayer is like, Lord, help me to become. To that's become. That's beautiful. I just want to become. 
whatever that is. And, and hopefully it's eloquent, hopeful, self-possessed, but meek above all men. I mean, that's that's beautiful. That's beautiful, man. Praise the Lord. Hannah, love you so much, girl. Okay, Johnny, let's close with prayer. And uh, Hannah, we'll be with you tomorrow night. The plagues. And uh, that's gonna. there's a lot going on in that chapter and a lot of misunderstanding in that chapter. Mm. So I'm going to be thrilled to, to replace one Suarez mm. with another. But Johnny, you'll still be in the room. Yes. So we can pull you in if we need to sure. and have you stand behind us and tell us your work. <laughs> um, Johnny, I think I opened with prayer. I don't remember. You close. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we're blessed to spend time in your word and to reminisce on your goodness thousands or maybe you know, even just a few hours ago, you've been good to all of us, those Amen. who are watching and those who are going to watch. And Lord, we know that maybe years from now, someone will listen to this and they'll make the same prayer that that we've made here, that we want you to make us like you, that we can become like you. Mm. And even if we go through our Midianite experience in the desert, even if we were in Egypt where we were going through some seemingly good stuff, Lord, you're ultimately going to deliver us. And so, Father, we just ask that you will be with us, that you will indeed guide us and that Please. we will... Take away anything that we have, even if it's that little rod that's left over, and even if you have it to turn it into something poisonous, whatever it might be, that in your hands it can be powerful and that we can do great things through your power Amen. and despite our unqualifications. So we thank you in advance for what you'll do. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't forget, 3 o'clock Mountain Time for the live. If you can't make the live, no problem. By the time 7 o'clock Mountain Time rolls around, uh, the video will be up on my YouTube channel almost certainly. God bless you all. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.